All right, good morning. Good morning. And, uh, of course, the Word of God says where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them, so it would be great to have them here with a little bit of heat. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I guess this isn't too bad compared to a couple weeks ago when we had that rain coming in, from, and it felt like it was coming up from the ground, and it was cold, and uh, so anyway, we'll we'll count our blessings, and uh, we'll get started, even though there's just a handful of us, usually people will filter in as, as I get to talking, and um, Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thanks for the opportunity to be at a racetrack. This is what you've put in our hearts to do. You've gifted us. You've given talents, and uh, we get to use those. And um, so just be with us this morning and, and make your presence known. Give me the words to say. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We love you. We look forward to what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a friend of mine told me, probably this is probably seven or eight years ago, that a friend made this statement, and it's stuck with me ever since, that when God blesses, you don't have to wonder if it's a blessing. And that's kind of stuck with me, because I've been able to put that to the test, because I've gone out there and I've made decisions on my own, like, hey, I'm going to, just impulse decisions. I bought a cargo van one time, piece of junk. <laughs> First one that I, that I looked at, I regretted it ever since. I was like, that was not God's blessing on my life. Because I didn't pray about it. I just went out and did what I wanted to do. Next time I bought a vehicle, I was very careful and, and researched it and, and prayed. And, and, you know, God cares about even the little things in our life. And, um, and so when God blesses, you don't have to wonder if it's a blessing. Listen uh, to this psalm. I'm going to read a whole chapter from the book of Psalms. Now, you know that the longest chapter in the Bible is in Psalms. It's Psalm 119. The shortest chapter in the Bible is also in the Psalms. It's Psalm 117. So here it is. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all you people of the earth. For He loves us with unfailing love. His, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. And that's it. That's Psalm 117. He loves us with an enduring love. And His faithfulness endures forever. Just keep that thought in your mind there. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, for the few of us that were able to be here and survive the cold, we talked about, uh, we talked about some things going on in my life. And it's not necessarily about me. It's not about my life. It's just that God is, when God's working in my life, I, it's like the psalmist. Back to uh, the Psalms, David wrote much of the book of Psalms, and he always used his life. He was always very, very open about his life. Even the time that he had sin in his life, when it was exposed, he said, I am that man. And he was always willing to be open and transparent before God, first of all. And then before all of us, here we are thousands of years later reading about the life of David. And So when God called me to ministry, I felt like that was his calling on my life, that I had to be open and transparent about, about the bad times, about the good times, my struggles. You know, I, So over the years, I've talked about being single and the difficulties in being single and lonely and you know, there's lust and all these things that you get to, you get to put up with in life. And, and so last week, we talked about fear. And I just want to go through that really quick. Just to give us a, a reminder of where we were two weeks ago, because I've got a continuation of that today. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I shared with you that um, you know all this year it's been kind of a struggle. I moved to Chattanooga to be close to my son, and at the same time that I made that move, funding for the ministry just dropped off. Funding for me personally dropped off, and I've been struggling financially since I made this move. And I've I've gone down to Chattanooga, and it's great to be close to my son, and we've really enjoyed that. But it's become a struggle to pay the bills. And uh, so back in the summertime, hey, would somebody just go over and kill that generator real quick? <laughs> I forgot to shut it off. Yeah, just just flip the switch, the red switch, and I'll, I'll get it at the end of the, if I remember, I'll get it. If not, I'll live in peace and quiet today. It'd be great. <laughs> 
you know, in the beginning of the summertime, I realized that, God, you're not answering my prayer for money to fall from the sky. You're not answering my prayer for support to come in for the ministry or for me. I'm going to have to look for a job. And I didn't have any Holy Spirit guidance saying, no, thou shalt not look for a job. It's no, I mean, you got to make a living. So I started looking for a job in earnest back in August. And I put out feelers in the industry. I talked to Yamaha and KTM and Western Power Sports and, and nobody was really had any openings in my area. And nothing was happening, but I was looking. Come September, I was really looking. I was like, it doesn't have to be in the industry. I'll look anywhere. And I started putting out resumes and started filling out applications, and and, uh, nothing happened. And then in October, you know, this month, I've really been ramping it up, saying I am out of money. (laughs) The the phone is going to get shut off this month if I don't do something. And I'm praying about it and praying about it. Nothing's happening. And I wrote in my journal, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, God, where are you? Are you asleep? Because I surely don't feel your presence. I don't sense your leading. I don't think that you hear my prayers. I don't know that you really care about this situation. And then, of course, as I write that down, God, are you asleep? I'm reminded there was a time that Jesus was with his 12 closest companions and he was asleep in their greatest hour of need. And, of course, this is found in Matthew chapter 8 when uh, when they're going out across the Sea of Galilee and it's after a long day of ministry and they're going out across the sea and Jesus falls asleep in the boat and then a storm comes up and it's a storm. It's the storm of the century. It's like the one to do them all in. And these experienced fishermen, they've seen storms before, but this is the storm that's going to swamp the boat. This is the storm that's going to kill them. And they wake up Jesus, and they say, Jesus, do something. We're about to die here. And, of course, it's offensive to me that in their greatest hour of need, in my greatest hour of need, Jesus is asleep in the boat. But what's more offensive is that when they wake him up, he's grumpy. And he's like, he rebukes them. Why are you so afraid? Well, because we're about to die. There's a reason to be afraid when you're about to die. He says, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. And then he rebuked the storm. And the sea and the winds were calm. And all my life I've heard that story preached because I, I grew up in church and I've always heard it, that if you have enough faith, then God will do for you what you need him to do. God will calm the storm if only you have enough faith. And that wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story was was that after Jesus calmed the storm, his disciples looked at each other and said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And that was the point of every miracle that Jesus ever did was that Jesus was doing something that only God could do. So when Jesus says, like, hey, I can forgive sins, everybody's like, no, only God can do that. And he's like, yeah, watch this. And he raises the guy up to, you know, to the lame man jumps up and, hey, I'm good. You know, if I can do that, then I can forgive sins. Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Absolutely. You have said correctly. And every miracle is to prove that Jesus is who he said that he was, that he was God come down to this earth. And so as we look at that story, we have to look at it in a new lens and say, wait a second. So the point of the story isn't that if you have faith, I'll do whatever it is that you ask me. The point of the story is that when Jesus first come, gets up, he says, why are you so afraid? You do not need to fear. A couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples on a mission trip. And as he sends them out, he says, you're going to go out. And as you go, there's going to come a point in your life that as you go, you're going to be arrested because you're speaking in my name. You will be arrested. You will be flogged. You will be imprisoned. You will even die. But you do not need to be afraid. Do not fear those who can only kill the body, but instead fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. 
And so as the disciples go on that mission trip, that didn't happen, but later in their life we see that absolutely they were fearless. When it comes to the book of Acts, the disciples were completely fearless. And it's not because they listened to another sermon, it's not because they read a book or they went to a seminar about don't be afraid, it's that they ran into the resurrected Jesus. And they said, wait a second, that guy who said you don't need to fear death, he conquered death. I guess we don't need to fear death. And so at the, at the conclusion of last week's uh, message, or two weeks ago at the conclusion of it, I said, there is no need to fear. I don't need to fear. If the disciples could be brave in the face of adversity such as death, and Jesus already conquered our ultimate enemy of death, I don't need to be afraid of the electric getting shut off. You know, we don't need to be afraid of disease. We don't need to be afraid of those relationships. We don't need to be afraid of the knock on the door. I personally don't need to be afraid of the electric getting shut off. And it's funny that I would mention that. Because you know what happened last Wednesday? I had Trevor and uh, my son, my nine-year-old son, he was on fall break. And uh, back when I was in school, we didn't have fall break. We did get the first day of deer season off. And, you know, national holiday as it should be. But he gets the whole week off. Of course, he's too young to hunt, so he didn't care. It was just, you know, fun and games for him. So he's at my house last Wednesday. This is like, what, ten days ago. He's at my house. And the lights go out. And I said, man, I know I didn't pay the electric bill because I ain't got no money. But I'm only a couple weeks late on it. I paid the month before. It's just this month I'm struggling with. I, I said, Trevor, ah, they're probably just doing some work up the road. But the lights didn't come back on. And so finally I picked up the phone and I called the electric company. I said, hey, are you guys doing some work up the road? They said, no, you didn't pay your bill. I said, I know I didn't pay my bill. I don't have any money to pay my bill. And they said, well, we'll turn, the light, we'll turn the electric back on for a day. And maybe you can figure something out. I said, well, that's great. So they turned, this is Wednesday, they turned the electric back on. I called Brian O, who's the founder and president of Team Faith. I said, Brian, here's the situation. And I've not been irresponsible with my money. I've actually been keeping him apprised all year long of what's going on with funding and finances. And he's, he's the same way, you know, funding's dropped off a little bit for the ministry. And I said, man, I'm at the point now where my savings is exhausted, my 401k is spent, my emergency fund is spent, everything is spent and uh, the lights are off. So every week at GNCC, as I'm out there and I'm doing ministry, the people are so gracious and they are so kind, and they always pass a hat and they give a donation, and and, uh, I always take that money at the end of a GNCC weekend and I put it into the bank account for the Team Faith GNCC ministry, and so that's what funds the ministry out there at the racetrack. That's how I get to the races. That's what buys the food to be here. That's what allows ministry to happen out here, and I'm, of course, saving for a new hauler. But there's a, you know, there's a chunk of money in that Team Faith account. And uh, do you think it would be permissible to pay myself this one time out of that account? And he said, as a president of Team Faith, yes, absolutely. Pay, pay yourself a little bit of money so that you can turn, you know, get the lights turned back on. I said, great. So I, made the, I initiated the transfer uh, to my account. This is Wednesday. It goes into effect midnight, Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm paying my bills. I'm paying the electric bill. I'm paying the water bill, the gas bill. I'm getting all caught. We don't want any more problems. And I'm paying the bills and the phone rings. <clears throat> says, hey, this is, uh, this is Jeremy from High Tech, and we see that you put in a, a resume with us. This is the first, the one, the only phone call that I've gotten <clears throat> in about three months of searching for a job, looking for employment, a way to, to you know, be able to take care of my bills and to do ministry at the same time. This is the only phone call that's happened. As a matter of fact, I was getting so, so nervous about it, I had called some business friends of mine. One of them's a, a senior um, sales manager for a big company. And he looked at my resume and he said, man, you look good. You know, you start out, you got management experience, you got field sales experience, that's all good. But five years of being a mechanic, that's not doing you any favors. And I know that you were doing what you felt that, you know, God called you to do, but 
you're probably going to have to go backwards and start at the bottom. And I said, dude, I would start at the bottom. I don't need, I don't need to make a million dollars. I just need to make enough to get by and make sure I have my weekends available for Trevor and for ministry. So, you know, starting at the bottom is not a problem for me. I'll do whatever it takes. And I couldn't even get that. The lows turned me down for a part-time job. They're like, thanks, but we're going to pursue other candidates. I was like, man, there's a shot to the self-esteem. And uh, so finally, Thursday morning, the phone rings. This is Jeremy from High Tech Compressors. I'm, I don't even know. I put, put in so many applications everywhere. I don't know what this is. So as I'm talking to him, I'm looking it up on the computer. High Tech Compressors. They make uh, replacement parts for these giant compressors that uh, pressurize the natural gas lines and oil lines. I don't know anything about that industry. And, and I admitted as much. But he said, well, we'd still like to talk to you. Do you have availability to meet tomorrow, which was last Friday? I said, sure. So I sat down with him, and I met on Friday. He said, man, I really like, uh, I like what you're saying. I think that the owner of the company would be interested in talking to you. Would you have time next week to fly up to, to Pennsylvania and meet with the owner of the company? I said, yeah, uh, earlier in the week is better. And he's like, well, you know, Monday, that would be kind of quick. I don't think he'll be able to meet you on Monday. And I said, well, that's no problem. Let me know. And we'll make it happen. Well, he called me 30 minutes later, and he said, "Hey, the owner of the company wants to meet you on Monday. <laughs> can you fly up to? Uh, can you can you fly to Philadelphia Sunday night?" I said, "Yeah, I'll be there." So I go up to Philadelphia Sunday night, and uh, Monday morning I meet with the owner of the company, and he introduces himself. Great guy, Christian guy actually. He uh, he told me that as he as he saw my resume. He Googled me, and the first thing that came up was a video that I did, a promotional video that I did for the Team Faith Ministry on GNCC and got to explain my calling and what God's doing here on GNCC. And, and uh, he watched that, and he was really impressed by that. And I thought, wow, an employer that's impressed by me being a Christian, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good indication that something good is happening here. And uh, so I spent the whole day there on Monday, got to see the whole machine shop, and they've got you know three CNC machines and mills and all kinds of cool equipment that cost lots of money that I don't know how to use and don't know anything about. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I understand sales, and, but I don't know anything about this industry. I don't know people. In it. I don't have contacts. There's nothing that I can bring to the table. He said, oh, yeah. Yeah, we like, we like your resume. You've got strong background in sales, and for five years you've been a mechanic. You were named the Arena Cross Mechanic of the Year, so we know that you've got the mechanical aptitude to understand what's going on in this industry. The one thing that I thought that I was wasting my time on, and I wasn't bothered by it, that I was being a mechanic when, when I'm skilled in other areas. I wasn't bothered by that, but uh, professionally, I knew I wasn't doing myself any favors, but that one thing is the one thing that this guy says, hey, that's a valuable asset to us. At the end of the day, he slides an offer across the table to me. And I'll tell you, it was not an entry-level position. It's a very good job. And, of course, I signed. <laughs> I said, yes, God is good. God is good. And, I, and during the interview process, I told him that uh, you know I need my weekends available. I have my son on the weekends, and I'm still committed to doing ministry on GNCC. And that's uh, Friday and Saturday. And matter of fact, I've still got two obligations this year for GNCC where I'll need to travel on Friday because I do the school program for them, and I'm going to continue to do that. But next year, you know, that's probably going to have to change. But um, I can't work on weekends. And after I was hired, I reiterated that. He said, how many weekends? I said, 13. He said, when do you leave? I said, Friday afternoon. He said, oh, you're talking personal time. Yeah, no problem. Great, go to it. So committed, still committed to doing the ministry here on GNCC. That's not going to change. It might look a little different. We're going to experiment next week at Ironman of doing a Saturday evening service at 7 p.m. instead of a Sunday morning service. See if uh, see if that works out for our racers. I know for some people it might not work out, but for uh, I'm hoping that a lot of other people it works out well for because I'd love to share God's love with this race and nation. And uh, the reason that I'm so open and transparent with my life is that 
I want people to be able to see God's love through me, in me and through me. And I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage all these people that God indeed does love us. Matter of fact, um, that verse that we started out with, for he loves us with an unfailing love, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever, is so true. And it doesn't matter whether I think that God's asleep or not. It doesn't change that He loves us with an unfailing love. You know, at the same time that Jesus told His disciples, I'm going to send you out as a sheep among wolves. So be wary as snakes because people are going to persecute you. They're going to imprison you and they're going to flog you and they're going to kill you. But do not be afraid of those who can only harm the body. Be afraid of Him who can harm both body and soul. Jesus went on and He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. It's interesting that, yeah, God knows how many sparrows there are, and He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, but it still falls to the ground. He knows how many hairs are on our heads, and He knows how many have been lost for some of us. But He loves us with an unfailing love. It doesn't change His love. And as you read, as you read that passage... And you put it into context of the entire story of God. That's what we call the Bible. Uh, But more importantly, it's the story of God. It's God revealing Himself to mankind. And you look through the history. Every single person that you can think of that's named in the Bible had a problem. They they had things that didn't go their way. And so often I hear people casually say that uh, if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, your life will be better. I'm here to tell you that might not be true. Matter of fact, that might be the opposite of it. You know, we've got uh, Christian brothers and sisters over in Syria right now. They're losing their lives, and they're not getting much airtime on television. We're here in this country, we're pretty consumed with an election coming up next year. It seems like that's all I hear about. But when you dig into it, over in Syria, it's a bad situation. Just last month, they, the ISIS came into a village, and they held the father captive over on the sidelines while they violated the women, and then killed the children and the women, and then killed the fathers. And that's happening today. Does Jesus make your life better? Man, you can't tell that to those people. But here's how it works out. As you read the story of God in the Bible, and you start with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, you see every single one of these characters had problems in their life. I've been fascinated lately with the story of Moses. You remember the people of of, uh, Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And God raises up Moses, well, uh, to lead them out. Well, before there was that, there was just Moses, the baby in the basket in the Nile River. And, and if you've seen Prince of Egypt, the little cartoon, you know, it, it, it portrays that, that the baby's rescued out and he's raised in Pharaoh's own household by Pharaoh's daughter. And so, uh, so Moses is indoctrinated in the ways of the Egyptians. He's raised as an Egyptian, but as he gets older, he realizes, wait a second, I'm an Israelite. And he sees that the Israelites are being abused and he steps in one day and Stephen in his message that got him actually killed in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says that Moses was 40 years old when he looked out and he saw that his people were oppressed and he stepped in to intervene and he ended up killing an Egyptian. And whether it was on purpose or by accident, it doesn't really matter. Moses was ready to lead the people of Israel right then and right there. The next day, he comes out and he sees two Israelites arguing. And uh, he says, hey, what are you guys? You guys are brothers. Why are you arguing with each other? They're like, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And Moses is like, oh, no. Uh, I have been found out. And sure enough, Pharaoh had a price on his head, and Moses had to flee. He had to run for his life. He was ready to lead in that moment right then and right there, but the timing wasn't right. And so Moses goes off into the wilderness, and for 40 more years, he's a shepherd. 
not living up to his potential, not living up to his ability, not living up to his education. By the time God comes to Moses in the burning bush, Moses has no self-respect and no self-esteem. God says, Moses, I'm here and I want you to lead my people. And Moses is like, you're making a mistake. Do you know who I am? I'm just a shepherd. I'm nobody. And God had to convince Moses. And against Moses' own will, Moses went and led the people of, of Israel. And later on, as, as Moses leads them into the wilderness, you see that he starts to grow into that role that he was actually created for. It's just that when he was 40 years old, the time wasn't right. Moses didn't get to see the whole tapestry of what God was weaving. He didn't get to see God's hand at work. All he saw was what was right in front of his face. And that's where I fall so many times, is what's right in front of my face. And so as you go through the, as you go through the Bible, you'll see that every single person, every person that we call a hero, had a problem that uh, that they couldn't get through on their own power. David, he had plenty of problems. When he was anointed to become king of Israel, he's probably about 15, 16 years old. For 15 years, he had to basically run for his life as Saul, the current king, was throwing spears at him and trying to kill him. And see, it's not, it's not our timing. It's God, and God does know what He's doing, and He does love us with unfailing love. We don't know who wrote Psalm 117, but there's a really good chance that David is the one that penned that, that he loves us with an unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. I'm going to close out with this, and this is from James chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. And it starts out with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a really unusual thing for James to say. Because James was actually the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. He was born to Joseph and Mary. He saw Jesus grow up. And it says that when Jesus went into his hometown, he couldn't do any miracles because there was no faith. Even his brothers and his sisters didn't believe in him and who he was. And here he is after the resurrection. Again, it wasn't another message that I listened to. It wasn't a motivational speech, a book that he read. He ran into, he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. In the dispersion. As I just described what's happening over in Syria, that's exactly what was happening in the first century in, uh, in Israel. There was death. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, there's a price on my head. And so the twelve tribes had to disperse and they went out. And there was a price on their heads that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of the way, there's a good chance that you're going to die and that you're going to get to see your family die. You talk about a trial... I have first world problems. My iPhone locked up. That's a trial for the first world. And I don't make light of that. That's frustrating sometimes. Or I can't pay my electric bill. That's a trial. And I know that for sure. I know that firsthand. That is a trial. I'm going to lose my head. That is a trial. And here's what James says. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's talking to people who are going to lose their life because of their belief in Jesus Christ. But he says trials of all kinds. Trials of disease, trials of famine, trials of relationships, trials of finances. He says all various trials. Count it a joy when you encounter various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. As I related a couple weeks ago, the steadfastness that God, I think you're asleep. I don't think that you really care. I don't think that you're even aware of what's going on. But I'm not going to change who I am. I'm not going to change what you've called me to do. I'm going to do what I know that is right to do, and I'm not going to do what I know is wrong to do. That's called steadfastness. And I'm not the perfect example of steadfastness, but that's what trials, that's what trials bring us to. And in all the examples, as you study Moses, and as you study David, and as you study James, you see all these people run into trials. 
and it produces steadfastness in them that they stay the course. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm surely not perfect and complete. It's going to take a few more refining fires before I'm perfect and complete. But that's what God does. You see, we all have trouble in life. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. It rains on us all. It's God who can take that rain and allow that seed of faith to grow within us so that we become perfect and complete. So I know that in this, in this tent, not only are we struggling with the cold right now, <laughs> but we all have a struggle. There's something that we're praying about. There's something that's on each of our hearts. There's something that we need God to do. Stay fast. Steadfastness. Stay the course. And surrender your life to God and say, okay, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. I know in my situation just this week, the storm was calmed, but before that, God calmed His child. Just like the song a few years ago that was popular, sometimes God calms the storm, other times He calms His child. And sometimes He does both. But I guarantee you, calming the child comes first. That's the most important thing, is to stay calm. Do not be afraid. Because God is at work and His steadfast love endures forever. Lord, thank You for this morning. Just thanks for the sunshine. Thanks for Your Word. Thanks for what You're doing in my life. I pray that my life, as I, as I relate my life as an open book, I pray that it will encourage people that hear, hear my story and hear what You're doing in my life. I pray that we'll all be encouraged to know that You love us with an enduring love, that You are for us, that You are not against us, that You're doing something in our life. And most of the time, that what You're doing, it's through trial and it's through fire. But when we are tried, we'll be refined as gold and we'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So do your eternal work in our lives. Keep us safe out there on the racetrack today, Lord. We love you. Um, Bless our time at Ironman. I pray that this 7 o'clock service in the evening will go well and that people maybe who have never heard the love of Jesus Christ will come to hear the love of Jesus Christ at Ironman. Be with us until then. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much. Uh, You need anything? Come holler at me and have a great race.